Welcome back into the Royals Farm Report. My name is Joel Penfield, joined as always by Alex Duvall. What's up, man? Not much. Um, we're recording on Wednesday night. Jackson Coar just took the sword right out of Ahmed Rosario's hands with 98 in the first inning. His command is um, – it looks a little better. You can still he's a little – you can tell he's still a little amped up. Uh, he may, yeah, he just picked off Miles Straw too. So we're uh, we're rolling early here and in, in, at the K. Jackson Coars returned to the big leagues. Looks pretty good doing it. So um, excited to see him back. I'm a, we're obviously big Coar fans. Love watching him throw. Uh, I'm a sucker for a good changeup, and he's got one of the best. So really good to see him back. Really good to see him having minimal early success so far. So we'll see how this one goes. Yeah, I'm glad to see him back. I'm with you. You know, I, I, when I heard when I heard the scouting report was 70 grade changeup, that obviously caught my eye very early, and that's why I think you and I bonded very early on in my time at the site over our love of Jackson Coar. And obviously, he's had success through you know through the minor leagues and gets up to the bigs and is just. I mean, obviously, it was it was as rough as it could possibly get, and seems like he's gone back down, retooled some things been able to work on it, have some more success, gain some confidence, and hopefully that translates to this uh, last month of the, the big league calendar. Yeah, he just made Jose Ramirez look silly on another changeup, popped him up on the infield. Uh, so a one, two, three inning, excuse me, really quick uh, there for Jackson Coar. Um, and, and it's just kind of a continued theme of the Royals' young pitchers just looking like they're making more and more progress as they come back from their second stint in the minor league. So, you know, this is Carlos Hernandez's second stint in the big leagues. It's Daniel Lynch's second stint, Jackson Coar's second stint. And all these guys just seem to have more success when they come back. So it's good to see uh, tonight we're going to talk about, um, you know, the minor leagues and uh, how this, how this organization is going to look in 2022, but it'll be fun next year to be, not only be watching minor league baseball year, but to hopefully have a semi-competitive club at the big league level too. So excited for that. Excited to see all the guys because we started the site in 2017, sort of too close to the draft to cover. So really the 2018 draft is the first draft where we went full bore and covering the draft. Um, and you can see now the, you know, a lot of these college pitchers that the Royals took uh, the first four anyway, are having some success in the big league. So been a lot of fun to watch excited to see him keep growing yeah it's nice and kind of cool that like our worlds of like specifically covering the minor leagues and the top guys that we've covered since really the inception of this site are now starting to make their way to the big league club big league club and meld into our love of the kansas city royals and it doesn't feel like they're so far away now like covering these guys in you know 2018 and 19 when they're in lexington wilmington is really cool but we're still like God, the big league clubs losing a hundred games. Like we're like, at a certain point, it's just like, damn, what are we doing here? And now to see, you know, guys like MJ and Nick and Bobby, and now even like you have like Brady and the the you know the four main guys from that 2018 class really start to make an impact. And guys even from the 2019 class are starting to knock on the door. And 2020 is you know there's some promise there with some of those guys. And 21 guys are starting to make it into affiliated ball. So the window feels like it's starting to crack because we have some talent that is either revitalized resurgent or just this was always here. And now it's going to be a part of the future of Kansas city baseball. Yeah, no doubt. Um, it's been fun to watch 
all those guys, the 2018 draft class, man, is so good. And then you have 2019, which somehow because of the top end talent might be better than the 2018 class. It has three, four big league starters already with Austin Cox and Jonathan Bolin waiting in the wings. Um, and, and again, somehow 2019 could feasibly be better. Um, I can't remember right now, but Kyle Isbell is part of that 18 class, right? He was a third round yeah, pick. He, he was the, yeah, I think he was the first position player they took. That's right. That's right. He was 18. Sometimes for some reason I get him confused and, I, I always associate Kyle Isbell with that 2019 draft as if it was Bobby Witt Jr. and then um, Alec Marsh and then Isbell, but that is not the case. Who was there? Um, I'll look this up while we're talking. Um, anyway, so let's start. Um, let's start tonight in in Columbia in 2022. So we, we're going to talk all night tonight. By the way, if you're listening. If you listen to this podcast and then go immediately back to the Royals Review Radio podcast page and click on the, it'll say something like uh, our Royals Review Radio part two or something like that. And we're going to talk tonight for 45 minutes or close to it about the minor league system next year. And then we're going to jump over to a new podcast and talk for 45 minutes about the big league club next year. So it'll be all in concession. It'll all run together a little bit. Um, Let's talk about that that Columbia team next year. So you're going to have a lot of the 2021 draftees. They're not going to pitch Ben Kaderna or Frank Mazzucato this year. They're going to go straight to instructs, pitch and instructs, be ready to debut in Columbia next year, I would assume. So you're going to have Frank Mazzucato. You're going to have um, Ben Kaderna. You're probably going to have Shane Panzini, Eric Sarantola, I'm trying to think of some other guys from that 21-21 draft class. Like, like in terms of arms, it could be there. Feels like Tyson Guerrero, a lefty who's having some success in Arizona right now, could still be there. Um, who are some other arms? Noah Cameron, I guess, could be there. And then you're going to have a mix of, of the international free agents who, you know, that's always a hodgepodge. It's not necessarily always worth talking about because it's just such a such a crapshoot in terms of who they send where. Luander Avila, he's looked really good in spurts this year. Uh, he's already in Colombia, but I could see him going back. Ben Hernandez, I could see being in Colombia again next year, um, being a prep kid in 2020. But he did look pretty successful, and I can imagine they'll get him some innings in again this fall. I don't think he's totally shut down. So if he gets think, some innings in this fall, I could see him going to Quad Cities. But, you know, you have a lot of these young arms – they're going to put together what what's going to end up being a dynamic rotation in Columbia, which they haven't had much of that this year. Yeah. And man, that, that group is going to be a ton of fun to follow in the, in the, the Sally there. And I, I agree with you on Ben, Ben Hernandez. I think he, he showed a lot of flashes of what he's going to be running his fastball up into the upper nineties. His changeup was, was as advertised, but I could still see just from an innings perspective and maybe just a, Hey, let's ease you back into full season ball again after really, cause he's really been shut down since what, like the middle of June or something like that. Maybe, maybe July, maybe beginning of July, maybe he has like two or three starts with guys like Mazzucato and Kaderna and, uh, and Panzini just to maybe help those guys get in and adjust because he's kind of a, it's kind of not a been there done that, but like he's been in Columbia, he's been in full season ball having somebody that's been in the organization for at least a little bit and had some of that success out of high school 
could maybe help and benefit there. And then he goes up to Quad Cities by like the end of May or something like that, or even before that. It wouldn't surprise me to see him in Quad Cities a lot sooner. And if he goes to Quad Cities right away, after, you know, a good at showing and instructs, you know, that tells you about the development of what they think of uh, Ben Hernandez, who I think is pretty solid. Yeah, the, the rotation should be a lot better. And I shouldn't say they haven't had a great rotation. You had um, A.J. Block there for a few starts, and he just tore stuff up. Ryland Kaufman's been there. He's had – Ryland Kaufman, I don't know what to make of him. He's had a few starts that are elite, and he's had a few starts where he didn't get more than two outs. So, um, Ryland Kaufman, I would assume, would go to Quad Cities next year. The offense should be absolutely loaded again as well, which you always love to see in Columbia where this year their offense actually, I said loaded again, their offense has kind of struggled this year. Um, Kale Imshoff has missed some time on the IL. He's in quad cities now. Saul Garza didn't make it up until later in the year. Luca Tresh just got there. Daryl Collins has been there all year. We'll talk about him in a minute. I want to I want to talk about him for a couple of minutes here in a second. He'll be in quad cities. But a couple of guys we can – safely assume if they won't if they don't start in Columbia I think we can safely assume we'll spend most of their time in Columbia woman Candelario woman Candelario is an electric young shortstop prospect who has not had any success in the Arizona complex league this year but I'm not going to put any stock into those stats the pitching there has been awful downright awful I've heard some scouts say they're not even watching hitters when they go because they there's just nothing to watch they go watch some arms um, and, and but main, mainly they're kind of staying away from it because it's it's really been almost unevaluatable. Um, but woman Candelario, you'll have Omar Florentino, another interesting young prospect. Roger Layton, uh, out of Nicaragua, a center fielder, had has had some spurts of success. Rothaikig Sejas is a he's Norwegian. Um, he is from I don't I forget where he's from at the moment. He's a Norwe of Norwegian ish uh descent he'll be there in some capacity he's an outfielder like a right field prospect his um batted ball data is off the charts like for an 18 19 year old kid however old he is he absolutely smashes baseballs peyton wilson may start in quad cities but he could spend some time in columbia carter jensen figures to spend most of his time in columbia eric pena figures to spend most of his time in columbia do um Daniel Vasquez probably goes to Arizona, but my gosh, man, they have so many young bats that are just kind of in that area of could boom, could bust, and really it's going to be kind of volatile, but they should be a lot of fun to watch when they get there, and it should keep the intrigue going. Like this year in Columbia, we had Michael Garcia, Daryl Collins, Kale Emshoff. Even though Columbia's lineup hasn't been great, they've had a lot of intrigue and some reasons to tune in. Um Again, like tonight, um, or, or, or now that Luca Tresh is there, along with who else did they send up? They sent up Luca Tresh and, and uh, Peyton, uh, Peyton Wilson. Oh, and Peyton Wilson, right. Now that they're there, they give you something to watch. But regardless, it'll have some intrigue in 2022, especially with guys like Eric Pena, Carter Jensen, Frank Mazzucato, Ben Coderna. Yeah, that, that team is going to be fun to watch. That is probably like my early – kind of like quad cities team where at the beginning of this year in may we were like quad cities is obvious obviously outside of what like prado and bobby wood jr and stuff are going to do like the overall construction of the quad cities team had the most intrigue for us columbia has the 
like has the pieces to be that kind of team next year. And I think a lot of it is just, you have a lot of prep kids and a lot of young Latin kids that we still don't like, sure. We have our evaluations and our rankings and stuff, but what are they going to do in full season affiliated baseball? And so there's a lot of storylines. There's a lot of ways it could go, but it's going to be very intriguing to follow up. I am like way too excited about Carter Jensen right now. I know that the ACL is what it is, but the dude just hits the living shit out of the ball. Like it's just all he has done in, in high school too. Like his batted ball data was off the charts as well. It's like you were talking about with uh, Sejas. It's been the same kind of thing in, in the ACL. And so I, and I'm curious what they do with him. I know we talked pre-draft and after the draft of, do they just Kyle Schwarber him and go, Hey, don't catch, don't worry about it. Let's move you to a corner, corner outfield, corner infield, and just let your bat eat. But he's also caught a little bit in the ACL. So I wonder maybe they let him catch a little bit, you know, on the side, play some third, play some left, just kind of see what happens and just see, see what the bat's going to do. Cause I think the bat's really going to play. Uh, he's been really fun to follow the last uh, few weeks since he got down to the complex. Yeah, I 100%. He has been catching. And like we talked about, I don't think that's the best spot for him long-term, especially with all the catching you have. But he has been catching, which should keep his value up. There's no harm in catching him now. He can always move off position later. Um, but catcher is a deep, deep position in this organization. Speaking of, you're, you're between Omaha and Quad Cities next year, you will have some combination of MJ Melendez and Sebastian Rivero at Omaha, unless they decide to carry three catchers and cut Gallagher, which doesn't feel, you know, so – one of those guys is going to be in Omaha for a fact, if not both of them. At Double A, you could have some combination of Mabry's Valoria, who, whatever, he's a good minor league hitter, and Kale Mshoff in between Double A and High A, and or High A and Low A. You're going to have Luca Tresh with Carter Jensen and Low A. The number of catchers this organization keeps pumping through the system has been kind of impressive. Oh, lest we forget Omar Hernandez, who hasn't not hit well at low A this year. So maybe he stays in low A again next year. He's only 19 this year, so he'd be a 20-year-old in low A. But we've seen them move Sebastian Rivero even when he's not hitting. And Omar Hernandez is so good defensively, I could see him being in quad city. So there's another catcher you're going to move up. I mean, they have so many of these guys. Watching the catchers in Columbia this year, Kale Emshoff and Omar Hernandez work with pitchers was special. I mean, I, I've never seen an organization that back-to-back -back ran through MJ Melendez and Sebastian Rivero on the same team. And then two guys like Kale Mshoff and Omar Hernandez, like, and now you've added Luca Tresh to the fold. Like my goodness. And you still like, have Sal Garza too, who can catch. I don't think he's a catcher long-term, but you have a dude that can, you can put back there and it's still solid enough that it's not a liability. Right. Right. And that's the thing. They just keep rolling them through. And I know at, at high A right now, you know, it's guys like Logan Porter and, and William Hancock. And at double A, they got – Freddie Fermin was on the travel squad earlier this year. I'm not going to knock Freddie Fermin. He's a really good quality organizational depth piece. If he's the fourth or fifth best catcher in your system, that is outstanding. Um, but they keep rolling these guys through. And I think at, you know, the high A level next year, you're probably looking at some combination of Kale Mshoff and Omar Hernandez again, which – as these pitchers keep moving up, it's going to be important that they have young catchers they can trust uh, to throw to. So 
outstanding work by the Royals to keep the influx of catcher talent moving through should make baseball in general fun to watch, but also help out the young pitchers. Oh yeah. You can, the importance of a catcher that you can put back there and not have to worry about a thing is so, so important. And to have that at the lower levels of the minor leagues, pretty much all the way through, honestly, like there's not a huge significant drop off. Like you mentioned, Logan Porter, Will Hancock, those are good or depth pieces, but they're not bums behind the plate. Right. So there's, and as you keep moving up, like you're going to have M Shoff and Omar Hernandez and Sal Garza, Luca Trash, like it's just going to keep rolling up and, they develop the relationship with these pitchers, these young pitchers, help them along as they go up. Like it, I understand the process and I get some of the maybe head scratching pieces that and signings that Dayton Moore made over the, uh, you know, over the last couple of draft classes, namely 2021. But it makes sense to have when you have young pitchers, but you get really solid catchers and dudes behind the plate to build that battery you there there is some rhyme to the reason with it yeah no 100 the next position group that i've kind of got my eye on is the outfield because we've talked about the roster crunch at the big league level that's only going to trickle down into the minor leagues i am not confident at the moment that kyle isbell starts on the opening day roster as bad as i want him to as much as i think he should i just don't know that he will there's going to be some combination of Bobby Witt Jr., Nicky Lopez, Whit Merrifield, Adalberto Mondesi, with Andrew Benintendi, a center fielder, Edward Olivares, Ryan O'Hearn, for Pete's sake, and um, Hunter Dozier. I really don't know who they're moving off of, and as much as I want them to, I don't know who it's going to be. So in the outfield between high A and triple A, let's start, let's start with high A. You're going to have to make room for Daryl Collins. Daryl Collins has to go to Quad Cities. Daryl Collins has been outstanding in, in Columbia this year. Also moving up into the outfield in Quad Cities is probably going to be a guy like Tyler Tolbert. Tyler Tolbert has been kind of meh with the bat, but he's got almost 50 stolen bases. He has done some damage in terms of like hitting the ball with some raw power, which was kind of interesting. And he can play the infield and the outfield. I don't know how he slots in exactly, but he's going to be a factor. you got to think Juan Carlos Negret and his 21 home runs go to high next year, even that, again, not a, not a prospect, not super great, but you got to make some room for some outfielders at the lower levels, like we talked about with Roger Layton or Thykig Sejas, et cetera. Which means at AA, you're, you're sending guys like Tucker Bradley to AA next year. You're going to send guys like John Rave to double a next year you're going to send uh probably a tyler gentry to double a next year you're going to send eric cole to double a next year which means you're pushing guys like brewer hicklin and darren blanco into the everyday outfield at triple a omaha um they're just i don't know where silly matias winds up so it's just interesting to me what they do with all these outfielders because i know they're not guys you want to cut but at some point, there's just there's only so many outfield spots. Travis Jones probably staring down the barrel of a, of a, of a job. Um, does Jason Guzman move into the outfield long term? I don't know. He's probably your everyday shortstop at Omaha if Bobby Witt Jr. doesn't start in Omaha. So I don't know how this all shakes out. But here's I'm going to give you three names I'm really excited to see. I'm really excited to see Tucker Bradley play at double-A. I'm really excited to see Tyler Gentry 
play at double A. And I'm really excited to see what they do with Nick Lofton. Nick Lofton, by all accounts, is going to double A next year. Probably still going to man a spot on the infield. But looking at the infield, the big league level, looking at the infield in front of him in the minors, might be a good time to start trying Nick Lofton out in left field, right field, center field. The big question, and we this has been the big question for years, who is going to be the center fielder that pops or the dude that can play center field that you can put in center field at Kauffman Stadium for the foreseeable future? And I think we've talked about it a little bit. I know you talked about it on Royals Review Radio. Like More than likely, it's going to come from outside the organization for 2022 unless they decide to bring Michael A. Taylor back. But via trade or free agency, the most likely scenario is that the 2022 starting center fielder for the Royals is going to be outside the org. But we still got to have somebody inside the organization that can play center field. I don't, I don't, even, I don't know if Nick Lofton is necessarily that guy. I don't know, maybe John Rave, who I think is super intriguing if he cuts down on his strikeouts. I think that is going to be the biggest question mark. Give a bunch of outfielders. You have a bunch of corner outfielders. So it's a matter of who can you legitimately believe in this organization you can put in center field to be a part of a, a team that can run down balls in some of the biggest outfields in all of baseball, just in the, in the AL Central alone. I don't know. I think, I think that is going to be the most intriguing thing to follow over the next few years. And there could even be a scenario where you make a trade and you try and trade for a a center fielder that you can, that maybe isn't big league ready, but you can get him there. So technically he is in your organization and go from there. I don't know that there's a lot of different ways they could go, but center field is for sure. The, the place that I really want to see them get better. Yeah. And it's a spot. And I know we talk about like, you know, they don't have really any true center fielders and it's not just at the upper levels of the minors. It's, I mean, it is like pandemic all the way down. Like, I don't even think Eric Payne is a guy that's going to man center field at the K. Really, the only guys in the system that I look at and think, man, that is a for sure center field prospect. Like John Rave, maybe. But then you have a guy like um, Diego Hernandez in Columbia, and he's not really anything special with the bat. Um, I, I really don't even know who it could be. Even I mean, not much not much, much less would be. Um, so yeah, the, they're going to have to go find their center fielder of the future because right now he is not in the system. I want to spend a couple of minutes talking about Daryl Collins. And I want to ask you this re- kind of theoretically, Joel, I know I put it, we were talking about it in the group chat a little bit last night, but in your seriously, in your own opinion, if you are building an offensive prospect and I told you, he's going to be a teenager playing in f- full season baseball we're not talking about like a top 100 type. We're not talking about Jason Dominguez with the Yankees just goes out there and obliterates other teenagers. We're talking about like a raw molded from clay prospect. That's going to take three, four years to develop. What are some things that you look for? What are some things that you want to see in him that make you think he could be an all-star caliber bat? If he keeps growing, developing, et cetera, et cetera. And it, for a 19, I mean, most of the, you know, how much are you swinging and missing? How much are you walking? And how much are you striking out when you do swing and miss? And then, bat, and then just pure bats of ball skills. How, you know, how hard are you hitting it? How often are you putting it in play in decent spots and not just, you know, either going all out for power or not hitting the ball on the ground 60, 70% of the time. Okay. So what if I told you that the Royals have a prospect in their system with, he's a teenager in full season ball 
with historically elite strikeout to walk ratio, a low strikeout ratio. So obviously that goes hand in hand with a low with a historically great strikeout to walk ratio for his age, right? So it's a low strikeout rate. It's a good stri- it's a good walk rate. It is an top two or three swinging strike rate in the entire system. And he hits his max exit below this year is harder than Bobby Witt Jr.'s. It's harder than MJ Melendez. It's harder than Nick Prado. And it's harder than Vinny Pasquantino. If I told you all those things, what might you say about this prospect? That he's pretty damn good at hitting baseballs. He is pretty damn good at hitting baseballs. This guy's Daryl Collins. Daryl Collins is currently playing in Columbia with the uh, in low A with the Fireflies. Um, Daryl Collins max exit velo one thirteen point six. Bobby Witt Jr.'s is not even one thirteen. None of those other guys have gotten one to one thirteen, like all the way to one thirteen. I think Bobby Wood Jr. is like one twelve point six, so it's you know it's rounds up, but not there yet. Um, <clears throat> Daryl Collins is on a list of like back to like two thousand and six. There are like five teenagers. Did Alberto Mondesi just homer? No foul ball. Holy cow! Say first pitch back from the IL. Um, anyway, his, so going back to 2006, Daryl Collins is one of like six or seven teenagers that have like a qualified number of plate appearances with a strikeout to walk ratio of one or better. Like he literally, every time he strikes out, he also walks. So he hit a ball earlier this year, 113.6 miles an hour. He only hits the ball on the ground 37% of the time. So he hits the ball in the air. Joel, if this kid grows, if this kid was fast, like if he was like Eric Pena fast even, he'd be a top 100 prospect in baseball because that means he could probably – he might be able to play center field long-term, right? Yeah. He can't. He's not actually that good of like a raw athlete. He's not like Vinny Pasquantino slow, but he's going to be a right fielder with an arm, maybe a, you know, a very – like an Andrew Benintendi type in left field. But, my God, the kid hits. I mean, he hits so much. Um, the Royals legitimately don't have a teenager who has had this much success in their system right now. He's a guy that, when he goes to Quad Cities, could be in double-A very quickly. And, by the way, if he does, he's a 20-year-old at double-A next year. He really ought to be talked about more in prospect circles surrounding the Royals. We had him 18 I think the other highest I saw him was like 16 on somebody else's list. Joel, he could he could legitimately be like a top six or seven prospect in this system next year after Coar graduates, Lynch has graduated, Isbell graduates, all these guys graduate. He's a top five or six prospect in this system. I remember being super excited about what we saw from him. I think it was in the complex league a couple of years ago. We're just like, who the hell is this kid that's just mashing baseballs down in Arizona? And you start looking into him more and digging in more like, Okay, and I remember being pretty intrigued about him in in Columbia. Damn, I mean, he he just keeps hitting like, and I and I know he's nineteen, still kind of raw. Like, there's definitely going to be more power in there. I don't know how. I don't think it's twenty five plus homer, but you give me seventeen to twenty homers with a bunch of doubles, and you're not going to strike out a lot. Like that screams like a Michael Brantley type hitter. Like, it just kind of feels a way like good athlete, not fantastic. Good fielder, not amazing, but 
damn, they're just going to hit for years and years and years and years. And to have that kind of feel at the plate as a 19-year-old, first season in full affiliated ball, with that kind of low strikeout rate, a high, a high walk rate relative to that, and you're not swinging and missing a lot, man, like he's only going to get better. And that's terrifying for the rest of baseball because this is a, just kind of a, a dude that's just kind of lying in the weeds, just like waiting, you know, to really burst onto the, the national prospect scene. I'm going to move to the next guy that is reminds me is similar. I want to go back really quick. I was looking at Daryl Collins page earlier. And I think I said something like Rafaikig Sayas is Norwegian. I have absolutely no idea what I was thinking about. I was looking at Daryl Collins page. Daryl Collins is from the Netherlands. He is Dutch. I think Norwegian came out of my mouth because I was looking at the word Netherlands and, and trying to multitask and watch Jackson Coar pitch. So Daryl Collins is Dutch. He's from the Netherlands. If I kick Sayos is from Venezuela, I really don't know why I said that. I don't even know what I was thinking about when I said that. But if I kick Sayos is not um, Norwegian. Nobody's Norwegian. None of these guys are Vikings. I don't know where that came from. Daryl Collins, though, is from the Netherlands. That's pretty cool. Uh, His younger brother, Darnell, was playing in the Royal System at 16 this year. So they have – there has to be some kind of pedigree here where you have guys that are really young, they feel like can jump into professional baseball and perform. Um, anyway, I think that's really cool that you have Daryl Collins who played in the, the Netherlands Professional Baseball League last year during the COVID pandemic. So um, really, really interesting group of prospects moving on here. Reminds me a little bit, Daryl Collins does, of Tucker Bradley, where there's not outstanding tools. They're not that fast. They're not going to be elite defenders. No shot they play center field at any point in time. They just hit, man. And Tucker Bradley, let's not get confused, is not anywhere nearly as good as Daryl Collins as a prospect. Tucker Bradley is 23, I think. Um, He was a senior draftee in 2020 out of – or undrafted free agent out of Georgia. But they just hit, and so – I really don't know how to evaluate oftentimes these guys because I look at the hit tool and the power potential and go, yeah, like I absolutely want as many of these guys in my system as, as possible. But the way the game is trending is you almost have to just be more athletic. You almost have to be a plus runner if you're not going to hit 25 home runs. And so I'm curious your take on a guy like Tucker Bradley, because if Daryl Collins doesn't end up hitting for a lot of power, and for a really good average and has a great on base skills, there's not a lot of other value that they are providing you in terms of speed and defense. I mean, I've said it all year. I've been, I've actually been, I've been really high on Tucker Bradley since they drafted him. Like just something about the swing and just the way I was like, I think that's, I think that's going to work. And he's just gone between low A and high A and he's just hit. Like there's no, there's no other way to describe it. The dude just hits. And at a certain point, you know, I understand like you want there, there is something to be said for just loud tools that just jump off the page. Like you want to, as you know, as a scout or an evaluator, you want to find the dude that can just roll out of bed and just goes like a pitcher that just rolls out of bed, goes to his bullpen and is just pumping 99. Like it's nothing. You want the dude that can like a Jason Dominguez that you can just flick balls out because he's just that Jack and just genetically gifted. I also think there's something to be said for guys like, Whit Merrifield, who had to grind for years and years and years and fight, you know, the tools aren't loud, but they just make it work. 
Tucker Bradley, Daryl Collins kind of fall into that category where they just work so damn hard and are so good at something that not many people are good at or not even many people that play professional baseball are good at. They just hit. And doing something that is the hardest thing to do in sports and managing to do it with regularity and consistency, that just speaks volumes. Agreed. And it's, it's so much fun to watch. It's kind of like – like I, I've mentioned it before it's, uh, regarding Jackson Coar. Having a 70-grade changeup is kind of like having a 60-grade slider. Like it's just the changeup can only carry you so far. You almost always have to have something else that plays off of it. Um, and so the hit tool is kind of the same way. Like having a great changeup gives you a great floor. Having a great hit tool gives you a great floor, but you got to have something else that comes with it. You either have to have plus power, plus speed, or plus defense. And right now, Daryl Collins isn't showing any of those things. So I mentioned his max exit velo. That is strictly to give you an idea of like what the potential is because his max exit or his average exit velos are just kind of meh. I mean, they're good. They're fine, but they're not that they're not as good as his max exit velo is. Um, but there's definitely power there. It's just, he's going to have to develop one of those other three tools in order to get along. I want to talk about the rotations really quick uh, before we kind of transition this into the big league club. Jackson Coar figures to be in the big league rotation or bullpen next year. Right now in Omaha, your starting rotation is made up of like Foster Griffin, Marcelo Martinez, Ronald Bolaños, who I think we can also reasonably expect to be on the big league pitching staff next year, Eddie Butler, some guy, I can't even remember his name, Brandon Barker, Jake Kalish, Brandon Barker maybe is his name. Legitimately, these guys aren't prospects. Ronald Bolaños is the only one. They're the only ones who – he's the only one who's a prospect. You have no prospects in your starting rotation at AAA, which is not that unique. Um, but there's not any depth there. So your, your rotation in Omaha next year is going to be supplanted by the guys in AA in theory. Jonathan Heasley is going to get added to the 40-man roster. He'll be in AAA next year. I'm surprised he's not already there. So you got Jonathan Heasley. I think Alec Marsh flashed enough. Alec Marsh goes to the fall league is good in the spring. I think he is in Omaha. I think Jonathan Bolin is going to be there eventually, but Jonathan Bolin coming off Tommy John surgery, who knows how long it takes him to get there. Austin Cox goes to Omaha and I, uh, Jeffrey Del Rosario, Del Rosario goes to Omaha. And I can't remember if I'm forgetting anybody, I feel like I am forgetting somebody. Oh, my gosh. Angel Zerpa is going to be in Omaha at some point. Drew Parrish going to be at Omaha at some point. Like, right now in Omaha, you literally, legitimately, there's not a single starting pitching prospect in Omaha other than Ronald Bolaños. And he really – he's been in the big leagues often enough that you can – I think we graduated him from our list. Next year, the entire thing is, pop, is prospects that can be your pitching depth. Right now, if one of these starters starts to go out, you have Mike Miner, you have Chris Bubich, like they've got enough. Next year, you're going to have 10 or 12 guys that can make big league starts for you at some point throughout the year and be prospects. Like these guys are like legitimately, like potentially good starting pitchers for the next five years. I'm really excited about that. They're also going to be backfilled by guys from high A who aren't too shabby. Charlie Newaller's not having a lot of success. He got off to a slow start in terms of being injured. 
I really like Charlie Newweiler going to double A and seeing how his stuff plays at least. Um, AJ Block has been really good. Anthony Veneciano going to double A should be a lot of fun to follow. And that doesn't even count the bullpen, Joel. Will Klein, I hate the way the Royals handle minor league relievers. Like if I was if I was a big league club and I had a guy like Will Klein, as soon as I identified that he was having like dom like success, like stretches of dominance out of the bullpen in the minor leagues, you, you go up to the next level. And if you get hit around, you're, you're throwing an inning at a time. Like, we can adjust slowly here. They did it with Richard Lovelady, and I know there were some extracurricular activities going on with that one. But we don't need to bring relievers along slow. We saw what Brandon Finnegan did in 2014. They don't need to be brought along slow. The fact that Will Klein is still in high A to me is a little frustrating. Next year, I would take him – and put him right in the bullpen in Omaha with Dylan Coleman on the big league club and tell Will Klein, dude, you're a call away. You're going to be the second or third guy we call on to be in the big league bullpen. We're going to skip double A. Screw it. You're coming up to Omaha with us because he's that good. Um, but they have relievers coming. Josh Dye, pretty good reliever. Um, I think I think Jeffrey Del Rosario ends up in the in the bullpen. But, I mean, they have them coming. Johansson Morel is going to be in double A. So the pitching is coming. And it's not, and and we we get excited about the guys we're seeing at the big league club. That doesn't even scratch the surface. That is the tip of the iceberg because while this may be oh Ace Lacy, how could I forget I was going just to double say, A? Like now the injury question mark is definitely there, but the stuff is so gross that if he's right, he'll be in Omaha really quick. And then there's just another dude that's right there to help the big league club. Yeah, and like I said. This is the tip of the iceberg. You have Coar, Hernandez, Bubich, Singer, Lynch, Keller. I'm forgetting one of the um, minor Lynch, Coar, Singer, Bubich, Hernandez, minor, Keller. Technically, minor technically. I mean, you got young arms in the big leagues, and there are so many more coming. They may not be as talented like Asa Lacy might be, Alec Marsh might be, Jonathan Bolin's close. They may not be as talented, but damn it, they're not far off, and they are coming in waves when they get here. This is – I mean, I know Royals fans are excited about what we've seen, but there is so many more of them coming that I can't contain the excitement of the pitching arsenal that the Royals have developed in their minor league system. I, I just like you to, to just take a step back for a moment and imagine a Dylan Coleman slash Will Klein eighth, ninth inning for years to come in Kansas City because I just thought about that and I started salivating because it – I mean, the way the Royals won so many of those games in those two amazing years were with just elite dudes with electric shit that were just going to stop, every, you know, just be a stopper. And both of those dudes are just doing that in the minor leagues, you know, and Dylan Coleman's just shoving it at AAA. Will Klein's done it all year in, uh, in high A. I think his called strike whip percentage is close to 40%. Like, it's absurd. The fact that he hasn't gotten a shot at AA is puzzling, but – all of these arms, I'm so excited. It's been so long since there has been this much depth for the Royals. Like when this started, I, I always go back to it because it's just so funny to think about how much things have changed over the last three to four years that Foster Griffin was the top pitching prospect in this system three in 2017. And then you look at now what's available and what's there. Like, I don't even think he would be in the top 15 of just pitchers if he were you know, the same prospect now. So it just tells you how, A, how the Royals have identified the talent 
and how they identified that talent that quickly to be able to build a system that quick with dudes that can all come up in a, not even just like a wave, like an absolute tsunami to the big leagues within the window that they believe they can be competitive. Agreed. Agreed. And we're, we're talking about this as Jackson Coar through three scoreless innings against Cleveland. He's been hit a little bit hard, but he's striking guys out. He's getting some nasty swings. Um, I do, have one, yeah, I do have one final thought here before we get out of here, and I don't know how we haven't talked about this sooner, but it's one game, but MJ Melendez played third the other night for Omaha. And we can talk a little bit more about this on the Royals Review Radio Show that's coming up next. But do you think this speaks more about how the Royals feel about Hunter Dozier or more about how the Royals view MJ Melendez as a long-term catcher? I think it – well – if you if you would have stopped at, at Melendez and not added the whole catching thing on, I would have said Melendez. I don't think this has anything, anything to do with Hunter Dozier because I think the plan is to let Bobby Witt Jr. or some combination of Bobby Witt Jr. and Mondesi play third base and with Emmanuel Revere as like your bench depth. So I don't think this has anything to do with Dozier. I do think it has – it tells you what the Royals think of Melendez because they're going to find a way to get these bats in the lineup. And it doesn't – it's not just Melendez. Like, I think there's a chance we see them experiment with Prado because Vinny Pasquantino might have as good or close to of a bat. Vinny Pasquantino is Rule 5 eligible in 2022. Where do you put all these guys? You have a lot of left-handed hitters, by the way, coming up. Um, but I think it speaks to the Royals are going to find a way to get Salvi, Melendez, Prado, Pasquantino, Witt Jr., Witt, Lopez, Mondesi, hopefully Isbell. They're going to get these guys in the lineup. And how they do it, they don't know yet, I, I'm a guessing. But the move to get Melendez at third was probably just kind of an experiment just to see, like, hey, man, can you, can you physically go do this? And he looked okay. He made a, a pretty bad throw over there. He made another – he made a decent throw. He caught. He made a great running play to catch a fly ball, but between Melendez, between Pasquantino, these guys that are coming up with what we see as people in front of them, Salvi in front of Melendez and Prado in front of Pasquantino, you have got to find somewhere for them to play. And I think it speaks even further to the more the depth you have. Michael Massey is going to be Rule Five eligible. Um, I think he's going to be Rule Five eligible in twenty twenty. He is in twenty twenty two. Clay Dungan is going to be Rule 5 eligible in 2022. You got guys that are behind them that are coming, that are Rule 5 eligible, that are going to have to be added to the 40-man roster sometime sooner in some capacity. You're going to have to start deciding who are the best nine bats we have and how can we best fit them into a big league lineup. And I think we started to see them start to experiment that with Melendez and by having Alberto Mondesi take some ground balls at third base as well. Yeah, it's super interesting how they're going to do this. And I think at a certain point, like Melendez is a really good athlete. Nick Prado is a pretty solid athlete, all told, for a dude that's mostly just been a first baseman. They're, they Like you said, I don't have too much to add other than, yes, they need to find a way to get these bats in the lineup because the dudes they have are going to be a part of the team that's going to make you competitive. It's not playing Ryan O'Hearn every day. It's not playing Andrew Benintendi. It's not playing Hunter Dozier. Like these dudes are ready and they're going to help you win now, not two years from now, like now they can do that. So I, I'm 
curious how the impact of that is going to be. And I think there's, there's more to it than just one game, but if they, you know, over the next two weeks or so of the triple a season, they continue to put MJ Melendez at third or left field or whatever. They put Prado in right field just to see what happens. It's going to be really interesting. And the fact that they're, I, they will still have instructs or the fall league for them to still experiment and do this on backfields where we don't have the opportunity to look and they get a, they get more reps there and then spring training rolls around. And if we still see MJ at third and Nick Prado in right field and Vinny at first, like it's a pretty good indicator of what they're really trying to do with this team moving forward. Same here. It is a really, really exciting team, exciting time to be a Royals fan. Even if this team doesn't turn out to be as good as those 2014 and 15 teams, they're going to be fun. They've got some great personalities coming. They Sorry. It's okay. They got some great kids coming, so they should be a lot of fun to watch. I'm excited to see them get going. Um, and, again, I'm just, I'm just ready for this next wave to be here so we don't have to watch the, uh, watch the fat play anymore at the big league level. No doubt about it. We'll have more to talk about at the, I'm sure, at the end of the week, more storylines and maybe some more positional changes or just – dudes that keep hitting and shoving and it'll be, you know, be even more excited as the, the minor league season winds down. Got a couple of teams that are going to be competing for some, some minor league championships here. Uh, but it gives us even more reason to be excited about the future of this organization. It's going to be a ton of fun and we'll talk to you all next week. Head on over now to Royals Review Radio and catch essentially part two of this uh, conversation.